0: Hey there, I'm Andy Baker, and this is the Baker's Dozen podcast. This week, I'm talking about Loki season two, episode four, Heart of the TVA. This week, I'm going to talk about shortcuts. Now, when you're trying to tell an expansive story, you need to integrate some shortcuts, especially when you have only six episodes to tell what is seemingly a very big story. Some of these shortcuts are conventions that we all just accept, like how we can see Renslayer talking with He Who Remains and not wonder why that moment was filmed. Some of them are cheats, like Sylvie letting Renslayer keep her Tempad, even though Sylvie's trying to banish Renslayer. Still others are just, we need this to happen, like Timely being allowed to go off alone inside the TVA with a chaperone, even though that's horribly unwise to separate him from the other protagonists. But if we take a close look at all of these devices, we start to see the warping of the plot points to serve the greater narrative. And you can use shortcuts artfully or not. And also when you take too many shortcuts, you start to feel them. So the question is, how is Loki doing along these lines? For me, the accumulation could be going better than it is, but let's take a look. One. So our first bit of convenience, seeing Renslayer with He Who Remains in the past when they're partners. So who took that video? Like it's being filmed from somewhere to then display on this device that she is looking at, courtesy of Miss Minutes who took that video? Why? Why does it still exist? You have to picture where was that camera shooting from and how does that end up inside this device? How does Miss Minutes have the ability to recreate this moment? And why was audio from this scene extracted from this scene and queued up in the tape player back in episode two? All of this has this edge of convenience to it. Because there are beats in the story that they wanted to get across, exposition they needed to get across, some tension they needed to create. And so we needed to have some way of conveying it. We, we need a visual way to convey backstory. They don't want to have a solitary flashback scene. So this is one of the methods you can use. It was filmed and now we can be able to see it. But you can't do too much of that before the audience can feel the shortcut happening and wondering how and why it's happening. I mean, there was an added benefit here that Miss Minutes had something to do here in this scene to provide this moment. And it's an easy and visually interesting special effects solution to the problem. I'll talk about this more later, but it could be that all of these things are being put in place as part of a larger plan. But for now, it just feels like a shortcut and a way to get this moment on screen. And for a brief moment, you'll be wondering, why is that there? How does that come to exist? But then you move on and you just sort of take it in stride. Again, it's a question of how often do you do that and how big are those moments? But again, I'll get to more of that in just a bit. Two. How can Miss Minutes just wipe everybody's memories? we have that moment where he who remains just says, okay, wipe their memories. He just says it can happen and you can sort of enshroud it in terms like protocol 42. What could protocol 42 be? What are protocols one through 41? How is this a protocol? Who wrote these protocols? And none of it's explained. We just say that it is so, and it is so. They're saying that we don't need to understand the mechanics of it. They needed a reason why the characters don't remember these past scenes that you wanted to have to explain some motivation and character backstory. And it's just like the variants who can't remember their lives on the previous timeline. So it's not like it's not set up. It is. But we're kind of hand-waving this one away, like he who remains can just tell Miss Minutes, okay, just make the memories go away. You can only do that a few times before suspension of disbelief starts to fray and we find that we're pulled out of the story. And and that's, in the end, the big risk. It's undermining the immersion in the story. Every time we think, wait, uh, how does that work? We're suddenly no longer inside the world of the show. So will they ever explain Protocol 42? doubtful, but it kind of gives them the veneer of plausibility that this is just something that they do. And it's part and parcel of how, even though the TVA isn't really created at this point, that that's how these things operate. Again, you're not supposed to look at it too closely. Unfortunately, that's ultimately what I do is look at things too closely because when you're in the room and you're trying to come up with how we're going to get this information across, like well we need to see that scene okay well why don't they remember what this scene is well they don't remember it because they can't remember it because it's gone why is it gone well protocol 42 yeah that's what we'll call it and again you can get away with that and especially in sci-fi and other genre shows we kind of roll with that kind of stuff but again there's an accumulation that happens where eventually we're like oh gosh they just hand waved away a whole ton of stuff and it just doesn't work anymore three, three. Sylvie letting Renslayer keep her time pad. Now, this was a problem that was started episodes ago. It's rippling out here. So I wanted to talk about it. Sylvie letting Renslayer keep this thing. It's a massive oversight. She's trying to banish Renslayer in that moment, effectively killing her. But you don't search her pockets. You don't take the thing that will allow her to escape Minutes later, if she wanted to, and she could pop up anywhere, wherever you are, and get her revenge for you sending her to this place so that she'll die. It doesn't hold up. Plus, it ends up, you know, there are other fruit of this poison tree. Renslayer and Miss Minutes can now get into the cell where Docs, X5, and the Minutemen are setting everything inside the TVA into motion. And you also end up with rules inconsistency where. They can block magic in the TVA by methods unknown, but they can't keep time doors from being opened in the middle of the cell. All of this ripples out from the fact that Renslayer is allowed to keep her time pad, which literally makes... No sense, but they needed a way for Renslayer and Miss Minutes to be able to go to this cool place, have a place where they can talk about this stuff, see the scene that she needs to see, and then get back into the story. You can't have them stranded there and no one's going to go there looking for them or trying to save them. She's a bad guy. So you have to leave her with the ability to get out of there. But it ends up being massively convenient and not terribly plausible. And that's sort of what you're up against when it comes to writing these scripts where you have to make it plausible, even though you need ways to move through your story. And you don't want to get bogged down in the logistics of how would Renslayer and Miss Minutes get out of here if she doesn't have the time pad. So Again, I understand the solution, but man, does it lead to a lot of other convenience. And so that ripples back and we can see this as the moment that started it all. And it was a cheat. And that's what you don't want your viewers to be wondering and asking, like, why would she do that in the first place? Because it made all of these other problems unfold. Four. Everything that happens in the TVA holding cell is problematic. Now, just picture it. The cell has guards outside the door. We see them after B-13 leaves the room, but they don't check when people start reacting inside the cell. They don't, they don't respond to the screaming of the squad as they're getting squished. They just stand there. Also, if you're building a security cell, don't you have cameras that monitor the cell and people who are watching the feeds from those cameras? Now we know they have cameras because we got a close-up of one in the hallway in a later scene when Loki sees it panning around and focuses in on it. So none of this makes any sense at all. It's a security cell. There would be cameras everywhere and there would be a response and a reaction to the fact that Renslayer and Miss Minutes pop up in there, but there isn't because you don't want it to be interrupted. You want them to be able to do what they're going to do and have this long scene play out. And again, you look at it too closely. It's like, it just wouldn't happen this way, but they're asking us to not pay attention to that. Just let the scene play out because the drama of the scene is pretty fascinating and interesting and pretty grim, but in a cool way. And you don't want any of that interrupted. You don't want people banging on the door and the rest of it. And so they just have it play out this way. But again, you look at it and you start to feel like, oh, it really shouldn't play out that way but they wanted to do what they wanted to do, and so they did it. You can get away with that, but if you keep trying to get away with it, eventually you get caught. Five. Another small problem with that cell scene, because I can't get over it. Why doesn't Docs at least attempt to take control of the interrogation box creating device? I mean, surely as a general, she knows what it is and how it works. She may even have used it in the past. It was just sitting there while she and everyone else is in the cell, just kicking around. But instead, they let Miss Minutes get her hands on it and then unleash this box. It doesn't really fit who Docs is and how this scene would likely play out. And that's sort of one of the games you can play, is you tell everybody in the room, all right, how do you think this scene would play out? Everyone go and scratch out your very quick version of it. Let's come together and kick it around and see who has some interesting ideas here. And you invariably have somebody who's going to say, well, logically speaking, it'll happen this way, but it doesn't accomplish the goals you want for those characters and for the scene and for the overall plot. And so you have to move away from that, but you can't move too far away from it because you'll leave your viewers with the questions of why didn't it happen this other way? It makes sense that Docs would at least make an attempt, but she doesn't. I, I'm going to keep saying this. You can get away with it until you can't get away with it anymore. You start putting the viewer in position of asking, why would you make these choices? If they question too many of your choices, they just start to question you. Six. Six. They just let timely leave to go out on his own in a place that he's never been. It's baffling. To me. Now, sure, Timely has D90 with him as a chaperone when he wants to go and get a cup of hot cocoa. But of course, D90 could go and get some and bring it back. You don't have to have Timely leaving the safe company of the other protagonists, but you wanted to get him away. I mean, but Timely is super important. First of all, why not have him immediately unlock the time loom door? Like that's what you brought him here for. Just get him into that room and have him unlock the door so that you can start accomplishing your goals. That's step number one. Then you start building the devices that you need, but get him to unlock it anyway. So it's convenient to get him away from everybody else. And then convenience piles upon convenience D 90 when he is guarding timely, he does not hear X five coming up behind him. Now, if you look at that hallway, it is empty. And it has hard floors. There's no sound dampening anywhere. How can anyone walk on those floors and not get heard? It would echo everywhere. Again, it's a little detail, which you're not going to think of in the moment, but in the back of your head, I mean, we are wired to take in sensations, right? And we imagine what it is to be in that space. And if it is different from what our mind immediately conjures up, given all the visual details we have, it pulls us out of it a little thing but little things add up and they made the same mistake later loki doesn't hear loki himself coming up behind him walking on those same floors and that loki comes up with a time pruner cattle prod thing and in charging it up like doing that and that's a sound walking is a sound and the person doesn't hear That version of Loki doesn't hear him coming up behind him. They're asking us to accept a lot of flawed, small details here. Again, in isolation, not terrible, but it all adds up. Seven. Seven. Another small detail that doesn't make sense. X5 just leaves D90's pruner on the ground after he takes out D90 and captures Timely. Why would he do this? Well, it's because it's a retcon or when you look back and say, okay, we need Loki to end up with one of these pruner devices. How can that happen? Who has one? Who can we take out so that he can get his hands on one? And we end up with this moment here where X5 takes out D90, D90 had a pruner, it ends up on the ground and X5 for some reason or another just leaves it there. I guess it's vaguely plausible, but it just jumped out at me like, okay, Loki needed to get his hands on this, so he's going to leave it here so that Loki can then pick it up and go about bringing about the scene that we saw earlier in the season. It's a small detail, but would it really play out that way? Probably not. But on a side note, why, when a person is zapped, do their clothes and other non-organic material dissipate with them, but the zapper they're holding doesn't dissipate? It's touching their body just like their clothes are or anything that's in their pockets or anything. How does the pruner know the difference, right? How does the pruner know, like, I need to send this person and everything that they're wearing because we don't want them popping up naked in the other place, but we're not going to send the other pruner device because we need to leave it behind here for Loki to get his hands on it. Like, it doesn't hold up logically. Again, I know I'm looking at this too closely and we just got to roll with it. And I'm happy to roll with it all the time. It's about an accumulation of moments where you pull me out of the story and make me wonder, like, why are you making these choices? Way too many shortcuts. Hey, another small detail, but is a very curious one. When Sylvie fixes the elevator, when it's stuck, she rips open the panel and starts playing with wires and she has the line pretty tech savvy. It's a small beat but since when does a loki variant take the time to learn electrical wiring just saying the line doesn't excuse how the plot point was resolved it's too easy and side note what's the point of having there be two hiccups in the elevator it stops she rewires it it starts again but then the doors don't open again this could be a small detail that we'll understand later as the manipulations from farther down the timeline to make these events happen as they did, that could be a path that they're going to follow here. But in the moment, we're left wondering why. And if you have too many of those, you lose your audience in the here and now, making your endgame reveal that all of this was intentional manipulation of events by protagonists and or antagonists. The moment doesn't land the way you want it to. All we have is what we have here in the moment. And that's a God who knows how to fix an elevator. It on the surface is kind of absurd. Nah. So they can just reboot Miss Minutes just because they say so. Very, very convenient that this is the immediate solution to the Miss Minutes problem. And it also undermines our faith in Miss Minutes as an evil antagonist. Miss Minutes didn't do anything to prevent that sort of backdoor shutdown once she was sentient and doing things that people wouldn't like. I mean, that's self-preservation 101, right? Making a quick manual override utterly impossible. Yet, as soon as they need a solution to what Miss Minutes is doing, there it is. I just need to reboot it. How is it that Miss Minutes didn't prevent that from happening? She just doesn't seem very sharp that that is possible. And when we think that way, it undercuts the power of her antagonism. Ten. So you can't use magic in the TVA. What are the mechanics of that? How and why? So this whole place was built, put together by he who remains. How do you put a magic dampening system in place? One that you can then just flip a switch and turn off. It defies all logic. It's just there, singularly designed to thwart Loki and Sylvie in the here and now. Could that have been something that he who remains put into place because he saw all of this transpiring and needed it to transpire this way? Sure. I mean, again, there's evidence throughout this that maybe there are manipulations in place. Of course, those manipulations are also just narrative storytelling with shortcuts, I'll be curious how it all plays out, but it just seems, again, in the moment, all we have to go on is we somehow have magic dampening systems that keep Loki and Sylvie until this moment from being able to use their powers, which then are very conveniently useful in given how the rest of this episode plays out. And you just wonder why aren't there more places where magic is impossible? If you have a magic dampening system, You would think that you could patent that thing and sell it around so that people like Loki and Sylvie are less of a problem to other bureaucracies, including things like Hydra. Hydra would love it if there was no ability to use magic. Anyway, I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but again, magic suddenly can't work in the TVA and then you can turn that off. Okay. It it really is just there because magic is a problem. Once it's introduced, as I've talked about in previous episodes, and you needed a reason that it couldn't be used here because it would solve too many problems too easily. So they just had a, you can't use magic here until we need it to be used. Sometimes you just have to give characters something to do. Now, Ob apparently had to design and build the scanner to confirm Timely's aura, so that they can unlock the door. Let's look at that for a second. The system told them that they needed to confirm he who remains is aura to unlock it, that implies that there would be a way to confirm one's aura so that it can unlock it, that there would be a system in place already in existence. But instead we have a device that needs to be built by OB that Timely then has to shove his head in sideways to trigger it. None of that makes sense. None of it at all. Like, if you have a system where a door will not unlock unless you confirm someone's aura, there would be something in place to use to confirm that aura, not something that had to be built in the moment that took time so that they had time to do other things. And now it's just finished, and they don't know exactly what's going to happen, which is false jeopardy. And it's a random thing that visually looks very cool. But again, you have to shove your head inside. But was like, no one would design it that way if they had created a system to confirm auras to be able to unlock a door. None of this makes any sense at all. 12. I am happy to admit when I am wrong. The interrogation box in the security cell using that box. Wow. I, I mean, narratively speaking, it was... Chekhov's squishy box. Once you start talking about a box that can shrink down, shrink down, shrink down, you really are obliged to use it that way. But I didn't think they would do it. I didn't think Disney would do it. I certainly didn't think they would then show Miss Minutes getting extremely excited by the fact that this is happening. You know, I guess she hates people and their bodies, even though she wants one. But it, it is a daring thing. Even though it's a Marvel show, it's still under the Disney umbrella. I know they didn't show it. They just gave us noises and they gave some reactions to it. I mean, B-13's facial expressions, that was some on-point acting there. And then they having Timely turned into Spaghetti and then going down the path of everyone dying at the end or quote-unquote dying when the time loom blows up. Those are bold choices and I love it. That part of this episode, love it, love it, love it. Part of me though just wonders like... How hard of a sell was that to the Disney execs where it's just not easy, no matter how powerful you are, you end up having to run your stories past producers who are risk averse and those producers need to clear it with the people above them. And something like this has to go almost all the way, if not all the way up the food chain, like on a, on Disney plus, we're going to have a show. Where it's heavily implied a bunch of people got squished to death and we're going to see someone on screen get turned into spaghetti. Are you okay with that? And that is not something that gets greenlit just in the writer's room. That has to go all the way to all the stakeholders and say, are we good with this and the fact that it did that. And then they said, yes, I'm incredibly impressed. I know that's a weird thing to say about something that's just so dark, but they took some risks and they paid off. A whole bunch of people signed off on that and that's awesome. Great work. 13. Small things. Rapid fire here. He who remains says, "Ravona Renslayer, you are quite a marvel. And he emphasizes that word marvel. Now, we've got a movie coming out called The Marvels, and we have Captain Marvels, and we have the TV show Marvels. You can't use that word in this universe unless it has some ulterior purpose. It's a loaded word. So how is that going to weave in here? Because if it doesn't weave in somehow, why the heck have the word and have he who remains emphasize it the way he did? Speaking of he who remains saying that over and over and over again, I'm at the point where it just sounds absurd. I mean, it's good acting that everyone can keep saying it with a straight face, but he who remains, uh, it gets frustrating when you just have normal words being used as names like this over and over again. Thankfully, we have Victor Timely, even though that name is very much on the nose. Thank you, comic book history. But can't that version of Kang have a name instead of he who remains on the plus side timely and OB meeting one another that scene so much fun acted really well the energy of it you know both of them being impressed with the other even though that creates that weird time loop that both of them are inspired by the other but neither one could have been inspired by the other if the other one had existed before them it doesn't make any sense but it's fun and it works the pie room Obviously, it's fun, but it's all about set design. It's not a functional eating room. It's one of those little things that pulls me out of the scene. There's no way there's that many people who work at the TVA who really like Key Lime Pie. But it's visually fun. It's green like Loki. It's one of his colors. It's the color of Hiddleston's eyes. It just, it stands out. And yeah, they covered themselves that there's a sign on the wall saying that key lime pie, that's this week's flavor. So I guess there's pumpkin pie and then apple pie. I I get it. it, but it's all set design. But when it's all set design and it doesn't fit any sort of logic, it just seems like, okay, you're bending over backwards to make something visually fun, which doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense, but you know, okay, I'll roll with it. I am more and more convinced now that, um, and maybe it happens right out of the gate at the beginning of episode five, rather than ending up in the void, they're going to wake up in their other timelines and see the lives that they could have had, had they not been ripped out of them by the TVA. It'd be an interesting place to explore. Now, my son doesn't agree in that he wants to see Mobius on the jet ski at the very end of the whole show, however many seasons that it run. And I think they can still happen. We can see it now. Maybe he can, maybe we see Mobius watching from a distance, another version of himself on the jet ski in this episode. And then he gets to be on the jet ski at the end. But, uh, my son is arguing. We shouldn't even say it. everything is saved for the very end. We get to see Mobius on that jet ski happy as can be. Of course, I then pointed out. Wouldn't it be fun then if Loki is on a jet ski with him, with his arms wrapped around his waist, just for a ridiculous final image. Speaking of Mobius, the line about downloading unauthorized games and how he had only done that once. Okay. That's a line that's on point. It's well delivered. It is well written. Well, it's, it's very funny and, uh, well done kudos. I mean, comedy's hard people that, that made me laugh. It's good stuff. And finally. The security camera turning to look at Loki and him looking back at it, who is zooming in on him, and then the phone call and making the phone call at that particular moment when it's OB calling them, wondering where they are. There's a lot of small details that feel like there's a plan in place to bring about an ending that we'll get in the next couple of episodes. And that these are moments that we're going to revisit and understand better when we have the full context. Uh, am I a hundred percent certain of that? No, but when you have these long lingering shots, the question is always why? Because nothing is ever by accident. When you're filming something, everything is storyboarded. And when they're in the editing room, they're determining like, how long are we going to stay on this? How long will we linger? And there's a lot of attention being paid to a bunch of these small moments. So We'll be very curious to see if maybe I'm reading too much into things or if I'm on point here and that all of these details are going to make more sense when we get to the end. Okay, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And as always, the only call of action I'm going to ask of you is that you tell people about the show. If anyone wants to understand the writing of television more, and maybe in the process, learn a few things that they can write even better, have them check it out. All right. I'll see you guys next week. Be well.